what is it about Pitbull or you know, Miley Cyrus or whoever, you know, um, <laughs> people with five producers like Rebecca, what was her name? Rebecca Black. Rebecca Black, with, yeah. Yep, with Friday. You know, what? what is it about this music that people come to love? Is it the connection with the lyrics? Like, is it just that it's really singable? I don't know. I'd love to have your opinion. I don't think it's anything to do with connection to lyrics. Um, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you see a lot of what they're singing about, about, and it's just like, you know, taking a single line and repeat, repeat, repeat. I'm here today with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. That's good to hear. We also have a very special guest with us today. We have Simon Blackburn. How are you, Simon? I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm good. Good. I'm very stoked. <laughs> That's good. Simon is from, let's say, two podcasts. Yes. Uh, from Apple Slice and from Take My Tone. Yes. So you're a, you're a seasoned veteran. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we're yeah, we're very excited to have you on today because it means less guest etiquette <laughs> explaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do we want to talk about? Well, considering your interest in the area of music, and and David and I also share that interest, and of course you're very well equipped to speak on that with your podcast take my tone we thought we'd delve into the world of music and why it's important okay all of us it's it's influenced our lives significantly i would say david being a, a professional musician uh, i'm not sure about yourself simon what's your history with with music uh yes yeah, so i basically been playing in bands on and off started out from around high school doing vocals and different kind of styles but really my passion lies with playing drums and so currently in a untitled band just securing our lineup and hoping to start playing shows this year and release something within the next couple of months what's the live scene like where you are in western australia simon is it likely you'll get plenty of places to play or will you be driving 600 kilometers every weekend well okay so perth has a decent amount of venues but where i actually am which is five hours south of perth uh, oh, in, wow. in albany uh regional small town small coastal town yeah, there's probably like two, maybe three places you can play. So, <laughs> so after the first month, you'll be on the rotation. Uh, probably. People tend to do like a, a WA tour and that will involve Perth, Albany, and then maybe one or two places in between. Okay. So when you were singing in high school, what were you singing? Uh, that was rap rock. So that was, yeah, that was more aligned with styles of music at the time i suppose we started out just going oh yeah man let's do you know rage against machine covers and things like that mm. so i played at my year 12 school ball very cool know, all, all donned in my suit and purple tie just rapping about politics and the government and things like that so <laughs> things i didn't understand at the time but it sounded cool <laughs> it's all right do rappers understand them at any time <laughs> What's the Australian equivalent, like Sick Puppies, their early stuff? Uh, probably that and Super Heist. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that would be like the Australian equivalent. But yeah, I think some people, when it comes to you know Australians and rapping, say Australian hip-hop scene is actually quite strong and quite thriving. But I mm. think with people, they just want to hear that. They, they don't feel like it's genuine, I think, because they hear it in their own country's accent. They're like, oh, they're, they're just trying to imitate someone. So, yeah. <laughs> Mm. It's a very hard thing to convince someone that a genre can move 
and be taken up and be fresh somewhere new. Mm, mm, exactly. Yeah, you, know, you guys know a lot more about rap than me. My sort of favorite person at the moment would be Travis Scott. Okay. Yeah, you know, because it's really, really thoughtful, interesting stuff. Like his album Rodeo, I really like. Yeah, you guys familiar or like him, hate him? Uh, I know of him, but I don't follow. Uh, you know, if anyone's listened to Take My Tone and stuff, they would definitely get the sense that I'm far more involved in your like progressive and and heavy rock and metal and things like that. Yeah, and I do touch into into hip hop and that, but. Yeah, I did a recent episode where I pitched uh, Jurassic 5, and that's more the style of hip-hop that I would like, that stuff that relates to the golden age of hip-hop, that boom-bap sort of thing, rather than stuff yep. that's become too... I don't know, I, th- I feel like a lot of the modern hip-hop has just it's become overproduced to the point where they're just mm. relying on the electronics and everything too much, and it's lost the organic feel to it. So I just, yeah, yeah. you know. I do want to ask you both about that, actually, because I think David and I have slightly different ideas about where this podcast will go. But <laughs> um, I, <wanna laughs> I don't mind where it goes. There's no problem. <laughs> um, I want to delve into what's changed in music. I mean, you've got Pro Tools coming in at the end of the 80s, I believe, and that's effectively changed music forever because people were allowed to make mistakes in their recordings now. You know, not not too many bands record on tape and when they do, they make a point of saying that they yes, do, they say do. like the Foo Fighters, <laughs> for instance. Now, <laughs> you know, as, as musicians ourselves and as people who uh, are interested in even specific genres, I suppose, and I think a commonality between the three of us would be like a progressive rock mm-hmm. kind of yep. uh, genre. Do we feel that electronic music misses the point of what it's all about? There is a hesitance, perhaps, that I can tell from from yourself, Simon, from what you've just said, that it, there's something about it that's not satisfying. I love the use of electronics I love is when it's just either... So you've got the full band performance and, and it, it sounds you know organic enough and then they've probably added some some synth and stuff in there just to give a wider soundscape. And, and that's great. I just don't like it when it gets to the point where they rely on too much live click, live sampling and everything where basically it almost seems like to the point that, okay, well, if something went wrong with your computers that you're running this off, can the band still even play? Like that's that's the sort of level where I feel like live a lot of bands have shifted to. So I think a good example would be, and I've never really been a fan of them, but a good example would be uh, a band that are, particularly blowing up right now and they've changed their sound several times a band like bring me the horizon their latest mm-hmm. album very electronic based you see the you know some live studio performances and stuff there's a lot of vocal effects that i feel like the vocalist relies on i would argue that the backing um, vocals from the keyboardists are probably better than the lead singer and yeah it's just sort of like everyone's oh wow this sounds great i'm like but if you just cut just pull that cable out there and that cable out there it would probably sound it like, ends. yeah, <laughs> it sounds pretty amateur. So I'm not, you know, discrediting the musicians themselves because I all know, you know, they are great players. But it's, I think, when you push into a, a certain sound a bit too much, and I don't think it's so much for, you know, commercial uh, appeal per se. Like, I, I know people like to experiment with electronics, with live sampling and that, and that's great, but I think you can overdo it i think the more tools you have the more you're tempted to play with them 
Yes. Mm. Just that <laughs> terrible thing of, you know, what's the old thing of overcooking the cake or overdoing the recipe? <laughs> if you can add a layer, you do. So to me, it almost seems like in visual terms, what do you call it when you make a picture out of lots of other little pictures? Collage? Yeah. Okay. It seems to me that music has gone from being a group of people making music to it's a group of people, if you're lucky, and then a collage of additional things that took an awful lot of time to do, and I will happily give them credit for the ability to add in all those pieces and layers. But what I actually want to hear is the group of people playing music, mm, mm. which might make me very old school. So if I look back to 21st birthday, so 1992, and my present for my 21st birthday was a German Husenkettner preamp. Yeah, right. Mm. You know, which I think was about $2,500 then. Mm. Nice. Which went into a rack case you know, with a Marshall Power Amp and an Alesis Quadroverb GT digital processor. And to me, that was the minute the world changed dramatically as a very young guitarist. And it was now I could waste hours with my eye five centimeters from the tiny screen using massive magnification to twiddle the settings to play with digital effects. Mm. Mm, mm. And in some ways, I know it's weird to say, but I almost wish yeah, that the little bit of sight I'd had had been gone by then and I'd never had the digital processor yeah. <laughs> because the digital processor was the beginning of the end of me being a guitarist. Okay. Because mm. what I realized is I can do so many things with this that are nothing to do with my hands on the instrument and I can use my hands differently on the instrument to then manipulate it with the digital thing. Oh, this is just all pointless. I now spend more time pressing arrows up and down so I went and picked the violin up where it was just me and the instrument. Yeah, okay. So actually the, the leap to the highly technical was actually half the reason for going to violin. The other half was it was the only way I could play more notes faster mm. you know, than as a neoclassical fusion guitarist. Mm. See, I I rejected anything that was even electronic just as in like dance music, right? Yes. Yeah. For a very, very long time. I was very hesitant to appreciate what was there. As as far as I was concerned, you know, if you were to make music with a laptop, then you weren't you weren't a musician. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, at at best you're just an audio producer, like when I go home and edit these podcasts. I don't see too much variance in skill, but I, th I think, you know, it's changed a lot for me. There are bands out there that have changed my opinion a bit. There's, um, I'm not sure if you are aware of FKJ. They're just a, a duo of two people and okay. they use loop pedals. And now mm -hmm. it sounds very electronic. They have some synth and stuff in there, but mostly they just use a bunch of loop pedals and go around and play all kinds of different instruments and then mix them together, but it's in a live way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it sounds like it's just something that someone's put together on a laptop. But no, if if you go and watch a, a YouTube video, it's incredible what these two guys do. They just walk around yeah. one room and uh, create basically a symphony. There's a cellist who does something like that, Zoe, somebody, where it's her and her cello and a series of loop pedals, mm. and you just get a, a a sound on there and then into the loop and then add layers. And same thing. That's amazing, and I love the fact that it's just the one cello sitting there. But again, it's that trick between knowing what you're going to do on the instrument and knowing exactly when you want to capture it and having mm. the perfect timing to get it work and stuff. So there's an interesting thing there of taking really great musicianship and that layer above that to me is the reason why it comes back from that brink of being someone twiddling buttons on the laptop. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, twiddling button on the laptop still I don't really find convincing. That is collage and well done for doing collage. Mm. But if the laptop didn't stabilize the pitch for you, you couldn't yourself. That's yeah, right. see, 
what I really was uh, drawn to and still really appreciate is, and a lot of bands I listen to have many actual, you know, physical effects pedals, right? And particularly kicking off with a band that we've recently discussed, David, Corn, uh, just their use of uh, effects pedals. Mm. They've got like awesome racks, and it's all, you know, it's all live. Like they they trigger it properly. They've got you know, everything at, at specific settings, but it's not something being played off a laptop. It still relies on the actual mm. guitar to be played to create these interesting Precise. sounds. Yeah, and I think when it comes to actually electronic-produced music, one of the acts that I feel like still retains the good live band and, and rock feel but still heavily relies on the electronics is something like Nine Inch Nails. So yeah. when you have like... You know, he's pioneers of, of industrial music. And, you know, the further he's gone on, like Trent Reznor, he's done more more stuff that is actually, say, produced fuel in the studio. But I feel like because he's doing more stuff to do with soundtracks and film score and that, he's coming from a, a focus on the way that music can influence the emotion on in what you're seeing in the film and, and stuff like that. And he's, and he's applied that to his music and his side projects. So he went from like this real dirty, crunchy, you know, industrial rock act into stuff that still is more electronic, but you feel like it's been, there's a lot of thought and a lot of intention behind how it's crafted rather than just hitting random keys on a thing and just trying to get a weird sound. He did the soundtrack for Underworld, didn't he? The Kate Beckinsale vampire movie. I think so. Because I reckon that's one of his first soundtracks and that I love because, again, it's that transition where he's very much still thinking in that Nine Inch Nails way but starting to become more cinematic in his scope. Mm, mm. And I, I still pull that soundtrack out every few months just because it works so well as a whole. The songs he's picked that aren't his and the stuff he's written for it. Yeah. I think, yeah, we have to mention that these kinds of you know, electronic music, they're quite popular, right? You know, and I think we should delve into popular music a little bit because I would say that, how can I say this non-pompously? It's like <laughs> our, our, taste, our tastes are not no. necessarily mainstream. I know that it's really easy to be in that position where because music is such a personal thing, it's really easy to bag on or resent things that are popular that you don't connect with. It, it is mm. really easy. And mm. I think in your formative years, you know, around around the schoolyard, it is really easy to bag on other people's music and have this kind of dominance hierarchy of what I listen to is better than what you listen to yeah. because X, Y, Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I, I want to question why music is popular because it, I think that will help us understand why we listen to it in the first place. What is it about Pitbull or you know, Miley Cyrus or whoever, you know, um, <laughs> uh, people with five producers like Rebecca, what was her name? Rebecca Black. Rebecca Black, with, yeah. Yep, with Friday. You know, what? what is it about this music that people come to love? Is it the connection with the lyrics? Like, is it just that it's really singable? I don't know. I'd love to have your opinion. I don't think it's anything to do with connection to lyrics. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you when you see a lot of what they're singing about about and it's just like you know taking a single line and repeat 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 and <laughs> usually stuff particularly if it has like a a real sort of club dance beat to it it's a lot about mm. a lot of stuff about this is our last chance this is our last night live live like you've there's no tomorrow and there's very much a lot of that theme running through yeah. and I think it's it's purely just to me. Again, like it sounds like, you know, I probably might be being up, up myself, but it's a real lowest common denominator sort of uh, approach. Like, I'd agree I feel, with that. I feel like they're just sort of thinking, okay, let's purely craft something that 
the beat is definitely strong enough. It has some annoying sample in there for whatever trendy reason. And basically, let's put in as minimal, you know, lyrics as possible and meaning and just make it like something that drunk people can dance to. Yeah, but I think you just tapped into something really important there, something that drunk people can dance to. Mm. It's a soundtrack to your life. Yeah. So if I look back to late 80s, you'd get four or five guys sitting around in a lounge room on beanbags with acoustic guitars trying to work out a riff on a Queensryche LP. Yeah. And it would be a focus of an eight-hour stint without booze to try and suss it out. And music was central to people's life, and I think it was partially because there was no serious computer gaming yet. There was no streaming services, you know, streaming either music or TV or films or anything else. Music was central, and when something is central, it's more layered and more nuanced. And I would argue that every decade since the 80s, music is less central and therefore, except for the enthusiasts, has less reasons to be nuanced. Mm, mm. It becomes more vanilla as music is not central to people's lives. Well, what what has taken that place though? I would, you know, for me, I can't imagine a world where music is not central to my life. And I know people that uh, have music that is central to their life. Yeah, but tribes find tribes. Mm. People, even if we can't agree with someone else's music, as long as we can agree that music matters, we can still get along. Yeah. But mm. my my question is now in a world where if you are bored, you look at social media. If I was bored at 16, I would have listened to music because mm. there was no social media. So to me, music has just lost somehow yeah. its okay. primacy and everything else is then a consequence of that loss of primacy. You then add streaming to it and it is now that you can hear everything that's ever been released mm. via your phone, which means why come up with your own thing or why dissect the new record you've got for three months? when you can just pick another thing and pull pieces out of them and and smash them together. It's it's totally changed the underlying reasons to make and listen to music. Yeah, I think also the the commercial viability of making music has changed quite a bit. Well, you better be the good life band that we were talking about before because the only thing that's really got any financial value anymore is the experience of seeing this group of people live. Unless you've had, you know, five producers producing music for you and the, the label, you know, whatever big yeah. label backs you. Yeah. But that means they're going to pick you to fit the recipe from day one. Yeah, that's Otherwise, right. it's about do your little thing just well enough to be able to do the tour and it being the live experience. Classical music's the perfect example. It often sounds better to listen to a string quartet or a symphony through good speakers. Mm. But if you're sitting in the front row and you've got you know eyes that work, you can see rosin flying off the bows. You know, mm. That's cool. Mm. You can watch everyone sway as they're moving. Watch mm. how each violinist is moving slightly differently but more or less the same thing's going on. Mm. There's so much to the experience of intense music. But if music is not an intense part of people's lives, it's just the background noise to going out. It's just the background noise at the gym. That means it, it, it's become different music. And to me, that's lesser music. It also fulfills a lesser role. So, of course, it's going to be you know, less interesting. Yeah, it could just be as, as, simp- oh, sorry, as, as simple as you were saying, you know, with people wanting to just defaulting to use social media so much, with that being such a bigger role in people's lives, that's just taken the space of what 
music had. So as you said, music's yeah. been pushed to the background. Yeah. So look at computer gaming now where they're getting good composers to write the scores for gaming. Now mm. that makes sense if serious gamers will play six hours a day. Music yeah. for setting the scene like in a, a movie. Music that can be cinematic. Well, we're going to have to come up with an equivalent thing for games. Gamer-matic. Stupid word. <laughs> but, you know, I think the meaning is clear that if you are involved in a life and death struggle in the game and the music intensifies the experience, that may be the best new role for music. Mm. I, I think that already exists. I can think yeah. of several examples already. You know, the Halo soundtrack, the Zelda soundtrack. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. There was an in, independent game that came out called Bastion, which was widely credited with one of the best soundtracks to ever go on a game. I think that mm. is, it, it is immersifying. So the next really cool progressive rock band, the first thing has to be to do a game soundtrack. Mm. Otherwise, there's not going to be an Iron Maiden or a, you know, a Queensryche again mm. because there's just not enough people who need to listen. Yeah. And I literally mean need in it is central to identity construction and spending time, yeah. except for those of us off on the periphery now who need music in that way, the, the level of need for music. People should love music because it's an outlet for emotions. It's a way to imagine things that are bigger. But it's, in a sense, they're directing you a bit to think about their song or the music, but you're also free to imagine it in your own way and interpret it. That is mm. like an active response to an art form where so much of what people do is now just passively consume rather than actively respond. Put it this way, there's a reason I drive, I do drive five hours to go see a band because they're playing mm. this, you know, and there's a reason why my you know, best mate will fly interstate just to see a band because they've skipped Perth because it's too far to get to, you know. Yeah, you're actively responding to it as a part of your life. Yeah not just passively consuming it as background noise. Mm. Yeah. So why do we listen? What what you know I'm hearing it's it's a form of expression in both the listening and the creating roles. Mm. Do do you think that's a good explanation for why we bothered making rhythms and and melodies in the first place? Well, why do we listen or why do we make it? I think there's two questions. You there. think? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Well, I I I think to me the form of expression seemed to follow that they were both the same reason but perhaps you have a different answer well my thought was i started to listen and particularly to hard rock and progressive metal one because i wanted something more orderly in the universe than trying to work out how to be a blind teenager yeah that's true so order was actually you know critical that in music there is always order and if you construct the order well you get beautiful music mm. Also, it was a place you could legitimately unleash aggression. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Definitely. And that when, when I started playing guitar, it was for those two reasons. But it was sort of more. It was, you know, the order was more than I could have in my life. The aggression was in an appropriate place. But very importantly, too, in a culture like Australia, where you cannot talk about your deepest, darkest emotions, you could play them out through a guitar without having to sing or say a word. Mm. So, so catharsis was the reason to make music. You know, I had older sisters just listening to you know, stuff from the radio and that, and that didn't really, yeah, you just sort of listen along. But again, it wasn't really until for me that turn of the century when I then started started high school, started getting into music, and I really feel like it was as a teenager, it was a direct reaction to such a strict religious upbringing. For me, like there was, there was so much, you know, say, say being raised strict Catholic, right? There was so much 
just rules within, say, the religion itself, and then obviously from you know pe- people like my father and that, like you know, there's the constant like this is evil, this is evil, can't listen to this, don't look at that. And I really think yeah. that my inside reacted to that by seeking out these sort of darker lyrical themes, these heavier sounds, mm. stuff that I initially would have been like, oh, I can't listen to that, that's devil's music. And then yeah. and then you get that little bit older and you think, why the hell do I even say that? I'm literally just repeating what's been told to me. And, yeah. and and I would, yeah, would seek it out and I would connect with it, you know, and I'd have to secretly listen to stuff. I'd have to, you know, do the classic teenager thing that, you know, hide, hide CDs away. Whereas, I mean, now that's we're right. talking about streaming. That's not really a thing. People can stream mm. off their True. own accord on their own account. There's none of that mm. danger element <laughs> to like, I worried if I'm going to get caught. Mm. What about you two? Oh, I resonate completely with what Simon has said in terms of, you know, being disallowed from listening to Metallica. But as soon as I started taking guitar lessons that, uh, you know, went out and secretly bought Death Magnetic, which is widely known as perhaps their worst album. I still yeah. like it, but, <laughs> you know, obviously, and then burning copies of Ride the Lightning and, and Kill Em All. And, you know, mm. Yeah, whereas yeah. that's the funny thing is I had a dad who was listening to Black Sabbath. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So for me, there was nothing to hide. Mm. Mm. There was only... How do I find an outlet that works well, but also I don't have to articulate anything that would have them probably want to put me in therapy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I had the classic situation of, yep, I would get my music magazines. I put up all the posters on the wall. I went to school, came home, and all the posters have been ripped down. Just that mm. that wow. type of, you know, and there wasn't even anything really within the, the imagery to me of, of the bands or anything that was particularly satanic looking, but I think it was just... yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know it comes from a place of, with my father, it comes from a place of he's just trying to look out for me, I guess, and he's trying, he doesn't want to be mm. influenced by it. But because he doesn't understand it, yeah, there, there was just a clear, big, you know, generational difference. And then, of mm. course, the religious as- aspect too. I remember I used to do the classic, you know, with the VHS, I used to time and record the early morning rage video clips because that's when they'd play the the yep. alternative and heavier genres and then i would yep. watch it you know secretly by myself and then i would have i once had my dad walk in on the latest uh system of a down video and it was all it was all red and black <laughs> and he's like yells at me he's like what's this and i said system of a down and he goes system of the damned and he said <laughs> i was like no no that's not that's not that's not that's not that. and then because they had that middle eastern look you know they're from from armenia and that and because mm. there was this red and black and because they were screaming and stuff he was just like yeah, yeah. rip the rip the tape out and that was that so you have to you have to kind of subs- well not subscribe you have to actually be aware of some of those religious texts to even be able to make those kinds of references oh, yeah, well, yeah, because exactly. you see how many of these people are doing that rebellion and mm. it's so yeah, and then you get the other side that you get guys like Dave Mustaine from mm. Megadeth becoming a dead serious Christian. Yeah, born again. Yeah, yeah, and yet you know what is it? Two years ago, putting the band back together, getting guitarists who can play as well as Marty Friedman at his best, and releasing Dystopia, mm. just as angry an album as anything from the eighties, mm. but with a hell of a lot more sophistication. So yeah. it's kind of weird going back and getting a new Megadeth album in my forties. Not quite sure how I feel about this. <laughs> oh, plus he—they got one of the biggest scores with Lamb of God's Chris Adler on drums, who's a huge Megadeth fan yeah. and arguably one of the best modern metal drummers. So yeah. a great lineup. So Dystopia is just amazing. Like Dystopia is almost enough to make me go out and get 
you know, bring a guitar back from my mum and dad's farm and go, right, I want my fast hands back. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But then I do the calculation. And the reason I always do the calculation about not picking instruments up again, you know, having had to walk away from violin because my wrist just couldn't take the cane being blind and the violin bow is I much prefer listening to other people do it with absolute conviction rather than me doing it as copying because mm, mm. I'm not sure I want to make my own music. I'm not sure I've got the energy or the passion. I, I'd so much rather come in and do this podcast or write 500 words about something you know, than pick up a guitar and try and get the message across that way. So I think part of the thing too is music appeals to teenagers because it's an outlet that says the message can be there but it can be a little bit blurred. Whereas later on, if you choose words, if you choose the spoken word like this or the written word, you have to be so much clearer and precise mm. and much more willing to be vulnerable about what you're putting out there in the world. That's true. My, my, my connection to music now, I think it was certainly that when I was a teenager. My, my, my connection to music now is perhaps a little bit more broad. You know, learning music in music theory, I actually had I gained an appreciation for for classical and, and jazz, and I, I listen to quite a bit of instrumental music now, um, and that certainly doesn't have that. It doesn't necessarily have that rebellion factor in it. No. Which actually, I want to touch on for just a small tangent that I think our parents forget that you know the Beatles were rebellious in their day. You know, I think these are generational things that that, that happen over and over again. Yeah, so my dad, who was an avid Beatles fan, went and saw them when they came to Adelaide, which is crazy. It kind of forgets that that band in, in its in its day was so diverged uh, so dramatically from what had come out previously mm. that it was seen as like kind of rebellious. And so like doing that again, you know, with Metallica or doing it, you know, today with pendulum or something i'm not sure um <laughs> uh you know I, I think these things i think these patterns apply but my my connection with music now sorry to come back to that is is more of like i listen for the joy of it it connects with something that alan watts who we've talked about on the podcast before in not nice terms but i want to bring what he speaks about with music back into the mix which is if we were listening to music for you know the end of it then you know com- the best composers would be the ones uh, or the best conductors would be the ones who play the fastest and um, the best composers would be the ones who only make finales, you know. So we're, we're, li- we're, we're listening not to, to end that musical journey. We're listening in, in the present, I guess. So music is, to, to Alan Watts's mind, a metaphor for life. But I, I, I see it perhaps a little bit more simply in just that I can be taken away to another place and it doesn't have to, I don't have to connect with it emotionally. I can just enjoy the intricacies and the rhythm and the melody Mm. and just appreciate just the the nice kind of sound and perhaps even the emotion that it brings up in you, but not necessarily because I don't need to have that emotional connection to be able to connect to it now, especially without lyrics. I mean, you know, music can be very emotional without lyrics, but usually it has to have some kind of imagery or something connected to it. So... Whole point for being a guitarist, not having to use words, but still trying to elicit emotion. Reason for being a violinist. Yeah, so it's such a powerful thing to get the emotional content. Mm. But so- the, the point about not needing it necessarily to be, it doesn't need to be transcendent mm. to be enjoyable. Yes. But I think maybe this is part of what's changed too, is I think for most people in the 80s, well, again, my friendship group will love music, but my sense was, more people needed music to be transcendent. It was part of transcending to being the adult you wanted to be. Mm. 
Whereas now there's heaps of ways to transcend to be the adult you want to be. Mm. So it's it's more okay at an earlier phase now to just go, I like that. That bit of music's cool, but I can take or leave it. Mm. Which is good at one level, but also a bit disappointing because of all the work someone probably put into making it. Sorry, Simon, I cut you off. Oh, that's right. Um, I'm finding now, you know, say being a father and stuff, just the the joys of seeing my kids experience and get into music, particularly at the young ages of three and five, right? And say mm. also particularly with my daughter who's on the spectrum, there's studies showing that, you know, musical therapy sessions with kids who are, you know, on the autism spectrum show improvements in their social response, communication and attention. And I have, particularly over this last year, as she's more been requesting to to want me to play something, you know, on the speaker at home or play something in the car and she's repeating the lyrics back to you and she just has this absolute joy and want to like dance around and everything that I haven't seen in her peers, kids at the same age that aren't on the spectrum. They're just sort of like, oh yeah, you know, yep, this is there's a bit of a beat here, whatever. But she's really, really getting into it. And just for me, that whole other aspect of that joy of me seeing it from the parent perspective rather than me only purely knowing the getting into music as a teenager thing. Like, it's completely sort of changed the game for me. Now I'm like, well, I wonder, you know, what like are there types of music that they like? Is there something they're starting to request over the other? Is it is it all just kids' music or is it something else, you know? Yeah, that was going to be my next question is what what's she picking or where's she heading? That sounds really interesting and important. Yeah, so between – so there's the style of music I like and then my wife likes just the stuff on the radio, right? So she gets exp- exposure to both when you're driving around in the car and that sort of thing and she's happy to you know, bop along to something that's got a beat or basically re-sing back to you the theme tune to a kid's show but there's also – certain stuff that I might play with both my daughter and my son, heavier styles of music, it's got a real groove to it, and I'm not even prompting them to, and I'm just driving, I can see them headbanging in the back of the car, and I was like, this yeah, is, awesome. is awesome, this is so cool, because they're not, <laughs> That's what you want. they're not turned off by that, they're not just wanting yeah. to go with the, the sugar-coated, bubbly, super-produced <laughs> sound, and yeah, when, and you know, <laughs> they have little jam sessions at home. They've got little toy drums that she gets out. My son's got a toy guitar. And they're just there riffing along to, you know, and, and dancing in time. And it's fantastic. I'm interested to see where they could head in terms of, you know, musical ability. Have you heard of a band called Infectious Grooves? Yes, yeah. Okay. It, probably a little bit beyond them at the moment, but the first thing in my head was when they're both like, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15, and they discover Mike Muir and Infectious Grooves. The, the ability to sort of have that wonderful riff and very strange lyrics, mm. a nice crunchy guitar. It sounds like the perfect compromise of many good things. <laughs> nice. I want to touch on music being such an intense social thing, which you've highlighted there. You know, certain studies showing that it improves you know, the social s- skills or ability or uh, mindset for people on the, on the autism spectrum. Mm. I think music is a very performative and social thing for for everyone else as well. Like I think we said at the start of the episode that there there are people that have these kind of musical dominance hierarchies where we talk about, you know, whatever I listen to is better than whatever you listen to. Mm. And I I think just as our final climax, I want to see I want to see what you guys think about that. Why why is music such a competition? Is it just the this form of expression and we just don't know how 
to allow other people to express themselves in whatever way that we deem <laughs> lesser. Hmm. What's been your experience with that? Well, I've been on the end that you've been on, particularly guilty of that in high school and beyond of, well, you just don't understand or you just don't appreciate the technicality in this riff or mm. particularly when it comes to delving into more progressive stuff. It's like the thinking man's music. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm. yes. it's just like, yes. oh, you have to, you know, there used to be the stupid things I'd say as a teenager, like, oh, this uh, this genre is called math metal because you need a math degree to be able to play it and just like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why, because I still have an element of that, right? Like, Mm. Anyone that no, I've absolutely. had on Take My Tone, they're people generally that appreciate a certain artist or, or connect with a certain song and can break it down more than just someone chucking on the radio, right? And mm. so I've kind of balanced it out to, from a social perspective, being able to discuss music with people that don't necessarily listen to the same stuff as myself, but they understand music to a certain level like they don't push it, mm. they don't prioritize social media over it and things like that, as we were mm. discussing. So I've kind of gone from you know, realizing, okay, maybe I was a little bit of a dick, you know, in high school, thinking <laughs> that I was above everyone. But I, I didn't, I didn't walk around like that. It's just one of those in, like, inside your head. You're like, well, you know, you just don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really important thing you just made. It's not necessarily that you lived it out. Mm. But you'd walk past and people who listen to junk, you just go, oh. <laughs> And I think it, it's two-sided. It's the desperate joy of having found your tribe and the terrible thing of being, you know, too smart a monkey going, my tribe has to be better than any other tribe. Yeah. And that as you get older, if you're really lucky, you can go, I've got my tribe, they've got their tribe, our tribes aren't doing anything mean to each other, so let's just accept that that person listened to music and that's better than not because it rounds people out and makes them happier. Mm. And rounded happy people are much better company. I had the really stupid, it would contradict itself, right? So I had the stupid thing in my head where it's like, I wanted I wanted to tell people about my music, but I wanted them to not like it because I didn't want it to get too popular <laughs> yeah, that it would totally. take away from it. So it's like, I have my special thing, don't ruin it for me, but I'm also going to play it to you and tell you like how much better it is than whatever. But I also want yeah. you to be like, oh, I can't handle this. Yeah, It's just a, such a stupid thing that you have in your head where it's kind of like you and, and that's happened in the past plenty of times you know bands get too big and you're like well you you're not a true fan like it's just yeah, that yeah real if you follow a band from their star and then suddenly they and, and it's stupid to not want commercial success for a, a band yeah. but you kind of like you don't want people to ruin the thing that the special thing you had See, I remember that when with Queensryche, you know, uh, Empire came out and Silent Lucidity actually got airplay on radio for a couple of months. And it's like, wow, they've got a radio hit. Awesome. They'll make some money. Mm. Oh, crap. Dum-dums are going to listen to it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And it was this, this terrible <laughs> contrast. of the, Well, they're not dum-dums because it's a radio song. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and just telling yourself it's okay and calm down. I can give you the ultimate example of that kind of stupidity, though. There's a band, an Australian band at the moment called Violent Soho mm -hmm. who at their shows would actually call out the people who only started listening after a certain album. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And the actually path would, to destruction, I yeah, hope. Literally, because you're you're actually, you're saying we don't want this commercial success, so like screw you guys, whatever, yeah. like to, to your own audience. Yeah, that's stupid. Um, yeah, right? Which is, 
just silly. But like there, there is something so it's if, you know we've all had these kind of experiences. There's something that is so personal about this. I'm I'm I'm, I'm so interested to know what what the heart of it is. I suppose, but yeah, it's it is. I think it must just have to do with that expressive nature of music, mm. um, in that we all want to be individuals, but you but know, not on our own. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> I've kind mm. of come to a place now where you know the people that I'm I'm friends with who en- enjoy perhaps newer music than I do, and I'm stuck in 2007, and it, it's actually I'm I'm finding it difficult to find a tribe, but um, mm, mm. <laughs> uh, Pro- which is it's a sad place to be. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's been harder. And I'm sure this applies to anyone that's a you know a bit of a muso. Once you sort of get out past your formative years to a certain point, you find it really hard to get into newer stuff. And because I've really tried, you know, I've really retained that sort of love for alternative and, and heavier music. And mm. I have branched out uh, to, I have looked at other places that's, again, with doing Take My Tone, I've, I've discovered more styles of music that I'm appreciating that I didn't think I would, you know, beforehand. But Mm. Yeah, it's just that's why I'm so hesitant, particularly when it comes to because I always traditionally would follow like metal media and that they're like, this is like Australia's like heaviest new whatever. And I'm like, it's just another hardcore band. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's mm. just another, yeah. it's like they're not doing anything that's really going to be interesting, you know? And then I feel like that's where coming full circle to the start of this conversation with the electronics, I feel like that's where a lot of bands are reverting to basically being like, well, we're making it creative by adding electronics into it because no one's ever done that before. I'm like, they've been doing that for decades now. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it is hard. Like, it's it would be harder and harder for, as music goes on, for bands to seem fresh because yeah. mm. everyone's influenced by something. We can stream everything. So my big problem now is, you know, having the home pods going as nice easy sound of you know saying so often hey siri next track mm. because i've put it on one of the apple music stations to hear whatever's new in a in a genre and i'm saying hey siri next track one minute in on five out of six songs yeah, yeah <laughs> going that's it. why don't i bother i'll go listen to a book <laughs> which is kind of sad but I, i'm really hard in that way in that there are those auto auto created playlists for you and I, ne- I never use them because I'm just not, I'm not a playlist person because I'm, I'm just like an yeah. album start to end. I'm into, yeah. I'm listening to this band and I'm going to listen to them for like a week solid. I might skip between albums that, but I usually just find the difference between production, quality, styles and everything yeah. a bit too mm. jarring. I just try um, and do sometimes. it to find new stuff, but I um, find I fail yeah. at finding the new stuff. Mm. I just do the Hey Siri next track thing and then yeah. in the end go back to a band and pick an album and yeah, listen to the whole album because it's a rewarding experience because they wanted it heard that way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is when you were touching on you know, finding your tribe and that I think that's the great thing though about going to a live show, particularly with the, the you know, I'm not going to a seated show, I'm going to a show where I want to be up the front, I want to be collectively moshing yep. with everyone else and there's just that that shared experience and it's it's wild it's awesome and you i always have that feeling after a gig where it's like you're at the show and you're like, oh wow mm. that's the band like that's the band and then you're like, oh, this is cool it's cool yep yep and afterwards you're like i can't believe yep. i just saw them like yeah. there's this delayed reaction it's where you have they're a real person yep. like it's really weird to see 
you look at them and you're like, they're just a person standing there, but they've been through all over the world. They've been through so much, those studios and everything, and you know, probably past problems with like mm. drug addiction and all this other stuff that you know rock stars can can experience. And you're like, they're just yep. they're just standing there. They're just they're just as as normal as yep. you or I. They just happen mm. to have chosen a different path in life. I think it's a really good place to end for us three metalheads. Is that <laughs> your podcast is perhaps a really good place for people to come and open their minds to new things even if they're older songs mm. perhaps like David will give a little plug that David was just on your podcast yes. and we'll be sharing that yeah. yeah it's a it's a good place to come where people can open their minds to different kinds of music new music uh, old music they've never heard before and get a sense of why people connect to that and it actually is you know, just over time you will be able to appreciate music for just the fact that someone appreciates this and, and, and that's people the best way in if, yeah if someone appreciates it well it's worth the effort of trying mm, exactly mm, definitely do you want to give us a little bit of a descriptor for apple slice as well while you're here simon okay so yeah if any of you listeners happen to be into tech particularly apple tech yeah apple slice is just a fortnightly podcast i do with my co-host nick where we cover yeah the latest apple tech news rumors and our opinions and we review the latest stuff and Particularly, the next couple episodes should be most interesting because you've got Apple's uh, WWDC event, which is a yep. big focus on software. So, mm. a lot to unpack there. So, if that's your thing, you can definitely check out Apple Slice podcast. And I'll put a link in the description because David was also on one of your Apple Slice podcasts. He was. That was I'm very t- interesting. I'm turning up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fantastic episode too. And, and what I love about the, the one with David is it's not because of the subject matter it's not tied it's always going to be relevant basically it's not something that's mm. just news of stuff happening at the time it's all about david's experience of using apple technology as a blind person and i found it very fascinating so a recommended listen <laughs> well thank you very much simon for for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure talking music with you yeah no worries thank you simon All right, gotcha thanks listeners bye Hello listeners, if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Listener.